Hey everyone, welcome to the 141st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got our live episode, live from Sawhorse Productions, with our pals Maureen Barucha, Tim Wilkheim, Sarah Adina Smith, and Tony Yacenda. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> we had some technical issues on this one. Uh, we had some amazing... Uh, audio equipment the same audio equipment we used for our live show at the famous group which worked perfectly when we were there and it just failed in a uh, very embarrassing fashion sure it was and we had close to 100 people at the live show yeah 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 it was a packed house and i think there's something special for our audience to see us belly flop yeah you know a, what I mean? about 10 <laughs> minutes into the recording i noticed that the hard drive was not recording and I, I i didn't know what to do when we i i mean we, did we do the right thing right we stopped yeah, yeah the yeah. podcast stopped down said hey uh this the there's a fault an issue here and we got to start over except yeah. i felt bad because we had already like pressured our guests to answer the first question which was kind of difficult and they didn't really enjoy the first question <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know uh i think that Maybe one of the hardest things about directing is like stopping when people are kind of in the middle of something because you know it's not going to work. Like you know, you're the one with that information, and oftentimes your whole crew is just thinks things are going fine. So it's hard to say like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you were right in the middle of some great inspirational answer, Maureen." But we have to stop. Get closer. No. No. <laughs> Worse than that. No. No. <laughs> So, I have a new plan. <laughs> this is like what directing is like, just so you guys know. So, we are going to jump into our live show about 10 to 15 minutes into it. Uh, but before we do, I'd love to reintroduce our guests, which we did in the live show. Uh, we, will, we had four amazing guests. They're all working TV directors. Our first guest rose to fame while working at Sprinkles Cupcakes by making short films about the different flavors of cupcakes. And now... She directs segments full-time on ABC's Jimmy Kimmel Live. We have Maureen Barucha. She also did like a couple movies and stuff as well. Uh, all right, next. He once live-streamed a marathon trip around the country in a tragic pursuit of directing a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial and recently directed 14 episodes of True TV's Adam Ruins Everything and segments for James Corden, originally known as Wilkerson. Now he's since merged his last name with his wife's, Tim Wilkheim. And how cool is this last name merging thing? Yeah, it's pretty dope. Next, she made a splash with her feature Midnight Swim, won the love of audiences with Buster's Malheart, and worked her way into HBO's Room 104, FX's Legion, and most recently directed the pilot for Amazon Prime's Hannah. She is Sarah Adina Smith. He's garnered close to 1 billion views through his little dick e-videos that killed at the show, you guys. (laughs) That's Orange joke. Uh, and then went on to create and direct the Peabody Award-winning Netflix series American Vandal. And more importantly, his father has learned about what Tony does by listening to Just Shoot It. Tony Ascenda. So those were our guests. And then we jumped into asking him the questions about TV directing. Uh, we apologize for the audio quality. I mean, we have to apologize. This is It's not up to our normal standards, but we think our guests are great. And uh, we found a way to record them. And we are really excited about this episode. We really love it. And at the end of our live show, we also had audience questions, about half an hour worth. Yeah, some really great questions. We thought uh, 
that would make a great bonus episode. So um, the next episode in your feed will be the bonus questions episode. It will probably post on the same time as, as this one. So it should already be in your inbox, but check that out. Great. So now we are going to just jump straight in media rest into our first question for Tim Wilkheim. We hope you enjoy it. Um, but yeah, Tim, do you want to give us the quick answer to that? Like what you did? What, what was your first gig? Adam Ruins Everything? Uh, On like, TV. Yeah, it was you know, technically it was Adam Ruins Everything. And I, I got that just because I had been working for Kyle Schumer for many years and just kind of garnered enough relationships through that company that when they were turning that you know, pilot into a show, they were looking for a handful of directors and they uh, kind of took a chance on me just because I expressed interest in doing the show. And then the first season I did just three episodes, but I knew like if they were to do more episodes, I wanted to, to do more of it. So just, again, I was passionate, passionate about the material, about the show, and I kind of reached out to Adam personally. I was like, hey, like if you do more, like I would love to just do as many episodes as you'll give me. And I think just that enthusiasm I, I think probably helped me go from doing three episodes the first season to six the second and every season that has followed I've done a good portion of, of, of the series. What I love about this panel is that I think if you go down the line everyone has a very distinct uh, path, right? But that it's still relatively repeatable. It's like, okay, you can do an indie movie, you can invent your own job, you can build great relationships with a production company, or you can sell your own show, right? So it's that easy, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, um, how is, so you direct also late night sketches, right? You're doing stuff, a lot of stuff for James Corden. How is that different than directing like for the inter- like internet comedy videos? I mean, it's pretty short answer, unfortunately, but it, it's, you know, from doing Kyle Schumer to Corden, uh, I have a lot more money to work with to, you know, just to, to, to have enough time to pre-light, to create sets, to, you know, basically any necessity we need for the script, like, we can do that. When, you know, in a Kyle Schumer video, it's like we only have, like, 5,000, so, like, we can't give you the thing that you really want for this thing. You basically get the prop, the weird prop or... or... But, but then the trade-off is with Corden, you have two hours to shoot it. So you're shooting four to nine pages in half the amount of time you would for a college in video. Um, so that, that's really like kind of the big difference between the two. More money, less time. And usually you're cutting it you know, the day that you're shooting. You're like, like, I'll get the the video assigned you know, on a Tuesday, I prep it on a Wednesday, I shoot it at 10 a.m. on a Thursday for two hours, and then we're editing it from one to three, and then it's on air by four o'clock. So, you know, with, but with you know, Kyle Schumer, you have weeks to do it. Um, and so do you think, like, given that you have so much more money, do you think the videos come out better, or is it still kind of? I mean, I think it, it kind of depends. It, it, like so much of the, you know who you're working with on Corden is you know it's kind of talent based because you're always it's like let's make a video with Lloyd Mayweather or uh, you know whoever who who's ever a guest on the show so it kind of just depends on how good they, they are and how much time they really want to give to to the shoot um, so it, you know I think there's some videos that are better than what I did at college you learn some that you know weren't as good so it just it's just a trade off. Maureen, I'm guessing the same thing probably goes for your the stuff you do at Kimmel. Yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of schedule where 
I mean, <clears throat> they have um, in-house directors, so we're doing like lots of little things. I mean, there's celebrity-based things, and there's man on the streets, there's mean tweets, there's, you know, you could be, I mean, I think one time I did like a hand insert on a green screen. You know, like anything that's like a pre-tape or a cut to is what we're doing, and you're getting your assignments at 10, you're shooting, you're doing all your stuff, and it has to be like noted up to Jimmy back, you know, by five, and so that's like every day. Um, and then we also have, like, we do integrations, we do commercials, so you have a little bit longer on those. But, yeah, it's, like, it's really fun and it's, like, just fast-paced and you have to really make those decisions in the moment. And, um, and you know, a lot of the people have been there for a long time, so there's some really great, talented people that are working on the show, just, like, making stuff happen. That's awesome. And how is it... So you have this, like, full-time job directing, like, celebrities directing every day, doing all this awesome stuff. How do you still find time to do your own stuff because you're also like making shorts and yeah you know, doing I mean I feel like that's always kind of actually getting Kimmel I had to like be like okay I don't have to work and do like 10 million jobs on the side but I also feel like I really like that so it's not hard for me to be like okay I'm working at Kimmel but then we just had a week hiatus and I like wrote a script and then like I'm working on this short and then I'm like trying to get this other feature so I work a lot with like um co-writers um, like I'll come up with an idea and then I have like my friend Ellen she's working on this comedy that I'm doing and then I have another friend Dave that we're working on like an Italian thriller and then I just finished my first like drama pilot um, so trying to take those things out and then trying to like get some of my own projects up and going but I just kind of like to do a lot of things because I feel like one side because I do comedy and drama like my features are drama and thrillers and I feel like it feeds like one thing feeds the other side of my brain so actually, when I'm not doing a bunch of stuff, I don't feel, like, I feel like I don't feel as creative. So I have to be doing, like, ten things. But you never feel like, like, I've made it. I'm getting paid to direct every day. Like, I don't need to go, like, kill myself to make these, my own things. I think the th- difference for me, too, is that I come from, like, shorts and narratives and features. And, and I love Kimmel, but it's not narrative directing. So there's always that drive to tell stories. And I... Yeah, so I, like while I'm working there, it's great and I love it and it's amazing. It's like it it also doesn't take up my my narrative storytelling part of my brain, so I can still write and do that stuff and not feel like oh I'm having to do all this work. It doesn't feel like work. It just feels like oh I'm getting to do kind of both things that I love. It's also great. Like those shows have such a regimented schedule in terms of even vacation. Yeah. So you can plan like oh we're going to be on hiatus for this time like. I'll start calling my friends and lining up a short to do in, in the interim. Yeah, and then the thing, too, is, like, we, you know, we're, the show's live at 5, so I'm done at 5. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an insane thing for, like, a director to work from, like, 10 to 5. It's, yeah. like, insane. <laughs> so it's, like, very unusual. And so then, yeah, I have my nights and my weekends, like, that are... Like, you don't get to the office until 10? <laughs> and you're done at 5? <laughs> It's crazy. Wait, but aren't you, like, worried about tomorrow's shoot, like, the night before? Yeah, sort of. I mean, but a lot of stuff you're doing your day of, and it's shot, and it's done. So you're like, okay, I'm just going to... It's not even written yet, right? Like, that's why you're coming in at 10, right? Yeah, some stuff you do... Some stuff, you know, if you have a big shoot, you're worried about it. But then there's things that you're like, okay, I can, like, pack that away. And, like, we actually had a shoot... uh, We had a commercial shoot, which is really funny. And, again, our shoots are very fast. And so it was this commercial shoot, and it was an integration, so we had, like, a process trailer, and we had an extra crew to work the process trailer. And the day was only, like, seven hours long, 
And everyone was like, oh, it's a long day for us. And the process trailer guys were like, what? And I was like, I know, they don't, like, like, our, like we don't have long days here. <laughs> like that kind of shooting. Like, there are, people do work really long hours, but the, like, field shoots are not as, they're not, like, 12, 14-hour days, like, normal. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> Who wants to work on camel? <laughs> I mean, it's really hard, and it's, like, a lot of pressure. So yeah, don't yeah. get me wrong. It's compacted into that time. Yeah. And it's really easy. Too, right? It's not, like... Like, you, you're thrown into the gauntlet for 35 days of production, and then you're done. Like, Kimmel's yeah, just sure. forever. <laughs> Sarah, uh, so you made these, this micro-budget, soft-scripted feature, and now you just made, like, a giant pilot for Amazon with action, and you shot in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, which one is harder? First of all, I did not hear the phrase um, soft-scripted before until tonight. Oh, it's great, right? I would right? say semi-scripted, yeah. but soft-scripted is very interesting. Yeah. It's like more visual. Yeah, it's like a little... Yeah, yeah you just get cozy in yeah. the script. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> push it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a better way to not say reality. Sometimes that, that, oh, that's the code. Yeah. Oh, right. Or like mocking... Well, you guys are fully scripted, right, Tony? Or you're, you're kind yeah. of soft-scripted, too. Yeah, we do have full scripts, but then we go... Yeah, yeah. On set, we have a crazy approach to set, and we throw it away. But we do have fully scripted. And Adarunes, everything is like every syllable has to be at the right time, right? Right. It has to be very specific. For the most part, it's all scripted aside from our expert interviews, which I mean, even those are like outlined uh, for the expert, but they change so much, you know, on set for what they feel comfortable or what they feel is accurate. So. Uh, it's 95% script. Right. You see how I just took the script you guys have with your questions and made it off? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually wrote in here, Sarah will probably change this yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, well, Do you want me to answer the question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what is harder, what is harder? Your, your indie movie or this insane uh, TV pilot? So I think um, they were like... It's like sort of both for different reasons. Uh, the making of the Midnight Swim was the most like beautiful, easy, magical process ever. But the getting to the making of the Midnight Swim was like seven years of torturous hell um, and like self-loathing. Right, and just um, a little context: the Midnight yeah. Swim, you lost all your funding like right, like a week before you were supposed uh, to shoot on right? a different movie. Tim just audibly. <laughs> It was for this other movie, um, uh, and uh, but we had already spent money like on casting and like locations for that other movie that fell apart. So then I was like, oh, I gotta just make a movie right now because <laughs> there's like money that's been spent. And so the Midnight Swim came about because I, um, yeah, hustled and wrote an outline and convinced some actors to come to Iowa. Um, but then once everyone was there, it was just why would like, it, why would not why would someone not want to go to Iowa? Field of dreams. Uh, it was great. It was like this delightful adult summer camp where we just were um, really creative and collaborative, and it was awesome. And I don't, you know, I would love to have another experience like that. And I think uh, then Hannah on the other side um, was uh, incredibly hard because uh, it was just this epic adventure in multiple countries. Um, and so we were like prepping uh, in different countries at the same time. 
um, and was incredibly ambitious. And obviously, the movie Joe Wright's movie is so good, uh, so it's like a lot to live up to. But like on a TV budget, <laughs> um, and so like also just trying to remind. I feel like it was my job as the director to remind um, the producers and the network at every turn, like what we were setting out to make, um, and and sort of like helping everybody rise to that occasion. And, and uh, so it was, you know, it took everything out of me. I have this. You can't hear this on the podcast on the radio, but uh, you can see it here. I've got like a white stripe of hair, and that's like, that's Hannah. Like, Hannah just <laughs> made my hair turn white. Um, but I also loved it and wouldn't trade it for anything, and it was also beautiful. Can I just ask you, I've always been curious, I guess, like usually in the context of Game of Thrones, how like one director is directing like in eight different countries. Like, how do you, do you just have to trust people? Like, you don't show up to a castle and say like, no, nah, we should have the turrets over there, right? Like, how, how, do you, how do you direct like, and figure out the production design and all that stuff if you're not in all these countries? Well, no, I was. I was, I was uh, going to all those places. So it was like a lot of travel. I was there for a long time. Um, uh, I think it ended up being around like seven months, including because I actually did post in London. Um, so I was gone for quite a long time. And then the way we handled it was, um, it was I did episodes one and two, and it was around, I think, 32 shoot days total for one and two. But those got just sort of shrapneled over space and time because um, obviously it was like, let's, you know, um, I think episodes um, three and four were mostly shot in Budapest. So it made sense to like, uh, table the Spain Morocco part of my episodes until after that, and so while they were doing that, I'd be prepping Spain and Morocco. So it was a lot of a lot of travel. Okay, so it's not like you start on day one and shoot for thirty two days and you're done. No, it wasn't that at all. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I, I think we're all just reeling from the thought of like yeah. seven months of shooting. <laughs> oh, I wish. I, I mean, actually, yeah, yeah. That, it wasn't. I, I guess I'm including post. It was seven months of being away from my dogs. Right. <laughs> Tony, um, we were teasing a little bit before about how you have a billion views of little dicky videos, but I, I think the thought of like transitioning from online content, sketch comedy, viral content, something that's really viral, into you know a bona fide TV show, you know, is a thing that everyone's still curious about. Did you have a moment where you felt like, oh, now? Like, I've proven myself. Like, they get it. They trust me. Hmm. I don't know if it, there was ever a, a, a moment of clarity like that. I guess there was a moment where I, I had been for, for years doing stuff for the web, some of which I was, like, generating the content and had the idea. Some of the stuff, like, I really loved the idea and wanted to pour my heart and soul into, into executing it. Um, and then there was some that was branded stuff I didn't believe in or a script that was given to me and you're just doing it for the job and, I, and you were doing a lot of underwhelming content and sort of figuring out what was the stuff that I liked to watch. It was a good you know, six year period sort of honing that. Um, but there was never one moment where I'm like, all right, I'm ready for TV. Um, I knew I wanted to do something that used documentary tools and I was like getting more and more excited about that and watching these true crime documentaries. So then it just happened to be this idea that I really believed in and wanted to put my eggs in those basket, be in that basket because, because I really believed in it. But there was never one moment where I'm like, all right, 
I'm done with, with web content. Right. And I'm looking into it. It wasn't the Peabody Award? That didn't <laughs> go to well, your head? At this point, I'm like, when, I, when we won the Peabody Award, I'm like, ah, maybe I don't need to go and do another branded spot for curved body spray. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you, though? No. Or, oh. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I'm bummed I didn't get that phone call. <laughs> um, so, next question for everyone on the panel is, now that you're a TV director, is your life set? Like, are you guys all buying houses and retiring at 40? Uh, or are you guys, like, do you guys ever worry about, like, the longevity of your careers? Um, or are you guys, like, are you guys still hustling? I read that on the email you sent us, and I was just like... Oren has the nicest house. And I could just see him like reading that question, like, you guys all set now? You buying a It's beautiful. I'm so jealous of your house. Long story behind how I got that house, but uh, it was the last time I played poker. It was too good. But no, one I'm in a one bedroom. I feel like I'll be hustling forever. Like, I think that that's part of being a director. Yeah. Like, I don't think that it's like, great, now I'm done. It's like, no. Like, there's always going to be some project that I'm going to want to do that I'm going to have to fight for or convince someone to do. And no one's going to give you. Even, like, I don't know. It's like, I think you see other people and even on the panel, you're like, oh, that's so cool you're doing this thing. But then it's like, you just don't know how much they've hustled or what else they're doing or what else they're trying to do. And I feel like that's just part of, that's part of being a director. And I think one thing I've learned about myself is I'm only good at my job if I really like what I'm doing. I'm actually really bad at my job if I don't believe in something or don't like what I'm doing. And so I, it's a constant well of uncertainty. Like I'm in it right now. I don't know if you guys can tell like by my like body posture or shoulders, <laughs> but like I am in at this moment in time, like just just drowning in uncertainty because I'm looking for that thing to like fully fall in love with and there's like 10 possible things that might be the thing but I'm dating right now and all I want to do is like commit and be in love with the one thing. Um, so yeah, I, the, the hustle is real and the anxiety is real and I don't feel safe. But you also just, <laughs> you just directed the pilot for Hannah which is this like blockbuster film everyone I think uh, knows it. Maybe people won't like it, maybe the world won't like it. I was talking in there for a second. I was like, you're Italian thriller. I was like, mama, mama, they didn't like it. I didn't know. It's going to be real weird. See, now it's going in my script. I guess, I guess in my head, I always like fantasize that like when I meet like an aunt somewhere or something, and they're like, so what have you been working on lately? And I can tell them something that they've heard of, you know? And I feel like that's what the four of you guys have, you know? So you're always like, oh, we know Jimmy Kimmel, we know ABC, you know, we know Adam Ruins Everything, or oh, well, James Corden, for sure, and Legion, you know? Um, I think that's true, but now I feel like the way things are going, everything's splintering, too, so we might know it, but I don't know. Like, I feel like that's not necessarily true anymore, and it's harder to get those things that, like, you know, are in the zeitgeist that everybody knows. If I did something on Jimmy Kimmel, I think my parents would believe my job was real. <laughs> my parents don't know Legion. Yeah, my parents do think, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. But it's not me, like, you know what I mean? That's not my voice and my, sh like, I'm directing segments on somebody else's show. So that's, you know, that's interesting. But yeah, I don't think I'm, it's definitely a nice paycheck. But you're like, oh, it's, I don't do this for money. So it's, I don't think that that's ever going to be satiated unless I'm doing something that I'm, that's my own. 
Well, let me ask then, because how has the maybe how has the hustle changed, right? Like Tony, you were joking before about not taking that branded spot anymore, right? But obviously, you're all still, you know, freaking out in front of all of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it got really morose because yeah. it's also it is the dream job, and I'm so happy to be doing what I'm doing, and the fact that like, I don't know. I went through this trajectory where when I'm in film school, I'm 18 years old, I would look at, I would look at people and I would like see a fancy car and I'd be like, one day I'll be driving a fancy car because I'll be a successful director. And then I come out here and then I start trying to hustle and actually make it as a director and all of that, the idea of getting rich as a director completely went away because I was just like, if I could just like make a living doing this, I'd be totally happy because I looked at my friends who are back at home who are making five times as much money as me, but then they would leave their cubicle job to be on my couch in North Hollywood with five other guys because my life was their vacation and I was doing what I loved. And uh, so now that I can do it and I'm making as much as those guys in, in the cubicles is... It, it's incredible. So, you know, I don't want it to be like morose, like we're all here and not happy with what we're doing. Cause it's, it's it's no, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. I'm having a bad day. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really, really, really love it. And I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful. And you're right, it is the best job in the world. Yes. No, I agree. Very lucky to do it. I guess what I mean is it's not, to me, it's not like, oh, I got that magic number and now I'm like, I'm sick, like I'm done. Sorry. That like the drive, the like what's driving me isn't money; it's creativity. So I don't think that that will ever go away. Yeah. Right. I mean, like Kimmel's been on for how many? Like seventeen years, but it could end, you know, any moment, and you need to like figure out the next thing. And you know, every year that Adam run, or ever runs everything ends. I'm like, well, that's the last season. So I need to, like I need to be like writing my own stuff. I need to be making shorts. I need to be pitching on other things because you know, just. You just can't count on anything lasting. That even if you're comfortable for two weeks, like four weeks, you're you're asking your parents for for lunch. Sure. <laughs> well, but so I, I think I, I feel like I hear like shorts being a thing that you're all talking about. I guess I want to know, like, how have how has your hustle shifted? Right? Like we all still are always constantly thinking about things, but like, has your thinking changed at all? You know, like, are you like okay? Now I'm going to spend a little more money on this short, or it has to be weirder, or I'm going to ask my famous friend, or like, yeah. you know, rather than... I think your strategy like, changes, yeah. you know, obviously when you have, I think when you're starting out, you're like trying so many things, or I did, it's like you're throwing so many things against the wall, and then when you start to like have success, or you're like, okay, cool, like I have that, or I have these things in my pocket, now you like start to be more strategic, or I was, or I am, trying to be more specific on like what types of meetings I go on or if I'm writing something like, okay, who could I sell this to or you know, who can be in that or where, where can I shoot that? Not that I wasn't thinking about that before, but I think it's, it's a little bit more, there's more strategy. I think you also, I completely agree and I also think part of it is you find out what you're good at and what's working, what your weaknesses are and you tend to be around other people who are, you realize, oh, this person's way smarter than me and way better than me at X, Y, and Z, so, you know, I, you steer, so part of the strategy is just knowing, like, being able to hone your voice and, and uh, sort of use that strategically to figure out what, what you want to do next. Um, to answer our own question uh, for a second, I think, I think I'm the only person up here that has kids, right? Or a kid. Um, 
And so I do think, I guess to me, like you talk about, Maureen, like it's not about the money, it's about the creativity and it's about the passion, it's about all that. But I do, at least I've seen in my own career, as time goes on, I feel like making something that's like not really good or that I think the script is really bad before we even start, and if it doesn't pay really well, then like I don't want to take that risk in the same way that I would when I first moved to LA. And I do think like, oh, if I do one commercial a month, then that's, I'm good for the year, you know, like... I do think, like, as a director, you don't usually... I mean, the DGA, I think, kind of adds, like, a layer of protection to you, but you're not, like, building 401Ks or seniority or, like, all this stuff. You have to worry about staying fresh all the time, right? And if, like, Jimmy Kimmel gets canceled and you don't get a job for, like, a year, then you're probably going to, like, full-on panic mode, right? And stop working on your own shorts. But the, I don't know, that's what I kick it into high gear. Yeah, so I like that. <laughs> like, that's, that's when she like, goes into terrible yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, again, that's why I work on, like, ten things, because I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like I worry about that. I'm not worried about, like, oh. Again, it is nice when you have, like, you're making a good income, so you're not worried about that. And I have been able to, with that Sprinkles job, too, been being, like, getting paid to do create, like, something creative for a long time. And so I, I found a way to sustain creativity and get paid. And, like, when I was at Sprinkles, I was on salary, I was on 401k, like, all that time getting to make Sprinkle shorts, which is, like, ban- bananas. Right. That they were like, yeah, sure, have this that job. That was my favorite short, by the way. No. <laughs> <laughs> Banana cupcake. Banana. But, um, yeah, so it's like, I guess I don't worry about that because I feel like I'll be okay. Because I know that I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so used, I was, I'm very new to getting, like, paychecks for directing. And I'm very used to just like constantly living on the edge of ruin um, and like deep credit card debt. So I'm very comfortable with financial uncertainty actually. And I'm kind of like you where I feel I, I can hustle. I can like go back to like making drawings and like selling them on the street. And um, I feel like I could just yeah do something creative and probably scrape together a living if need be. Um, so, which is, I think that's freeing because, I mean, I think if I had a, if we had children, we might feel differently. Yeah, and for sure. Sounds to me like you should get rid of your children. <laughs> uh, that is one thing I'm working on. But the, the other thing, <laughs> to Tony's point, is that I think everyone should invest in real estate. It's really, it's really the way to like have a little bit of a stuff for plan. so nice. Okay, so everyone go out, make movies, and buy real estate. That's that's it. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, Ford Francis Ford Coppola makes more wine, more wine, more money on his wine business than all his movies combined. So, yeah. If you don't love movies, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love wine. I should think about that. Um, I feel like I uh, start to freak out about thirty minutes after I'm done with whatever my last job was. I get like a 30 minute grace period and then I'm insane. Right? See, I feel like, like sometimes I worry about just getting stuck, like doing something and being too comfortable. Maybe that's my problem. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to ever get too comfy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because it was kind of easy to move from, you know, 19 cent burritos and sharing a house with five guys in the valley and like slowly moving your way up but I have a tremendous amount of respect and it's not something I've ever done of like having any sort of comfort and income and then throwing that away for the dream uh, so people who do that I, I have a, a lot of respect for that but it's it was easier for me to just come from film school yeah, start at the bottom and slowly chip your way up yeah I do think there's like um 
I think of that early time where your standard of living is so low, you're like, you're like used to being broke and all of your friends are broke as a resource, like a finite resource where you're willing to put up with just like struggling and therefore working for free with your friends and vice versa. You know, like there are a lot of great people who make their first film in that little twilight because like it doesn't cost them anything because everybody is so broke that it doesn't matter. So think about that, everyone. (laughs) Well, so back to making a ton of money directing TV. Uh, Tim, you, so you've done a bunch of seasons of Adam Ruins Everything. And that show has like such a specific format and a specific look. I don't know if you guys in the audience have all seen it, but it's like really, it's really good, but it's got such a voice. How do you like evolve that voice over the course of the seasons as a director? I mean, I think the good thing about that show is, is Adam's very aware of it. He wants the show to always feel fresh and different. And, I think they kind of ingrain that, they, some, they ingrain a lot of the style almost into the writing of like, hey, we want this season to have like a bunch of different flavors of like, we want one episode that feels like it's a episode of CSI, we want an epi- another episode that feels like it's, uh, we're in the world of a sitcom. Uh, we do so many genre parodies within the show that I think within a season we're, we're doing, you know, 20 different styles. So it, I, it, they make it easy to to not make it feel like the same thing over and over. And he encouraged, like they encouraged to to be pushing the show, you know, on a, on a technical level and and making it feel different, even just beyond what is written on the page. So, I mean, for years, I'd always said like I want to I want to do a full act that is just one long continuous take because a lot, a lot of our show is you know long oneers that. For I mean, really, like the longest is about like a minute, a minute and a half. But for years, I was like, I want to do you know a six-minute unbroken take, and uh, you know, the third season, I finally was able to like find the right act where I was like, I think we can make these sets all work within the same space, and like they were completely supportive to to do that and take you know, it's like a little bit of a risk to to you know dedicate one full day to you know a six minute shot that we did probably 13 times and basically killed our steady cam operator because we only had one um he had to you know operate with a, a teleprompter on his his rig oh my but, god uh, yeah I, 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 they they encouraged to like keep pushing the show so you know an upcoming episode i'm doing that i'm prepping right now is there's two different versions of adam and you know, another thing I've been pushing a lot on the show is getting a motion control rig, and that's just something we can never really afford. But, you know, from the beginning of the first block, we knew this episode was going to happen, you know, down the line. So they kind of allotted enough money for us to do, you know, to get this really expensive piece of equipment that we normally can't afford. And we're even budgeting an extra day for the episode just so we can really make sure we get enough shots and do it right. Um, Cool. So, yeah. I actually have a sorry to cut you off, Matt. Um, but I have a personal question. Like, how to anyone who wants to answer it? Like, how much do you think people appreciate these wonders? Like, we're always fighting for them. We're always like, it would be so cool to do this scene and like. Probably no not cuts. as much as we do. I think no <laughs> one does. I, re- I I don't think any like I was really like when we that wonder act we did in Edwards everything. I was like I I really hope 
that True TV uses that you know that clip as the the clip they promote the the episode with. But you know they cut it up into like a two minute part and you know showed a different you know, showed showed one of the different acts. Like I don't think, fortunately, I don't I don't think the the normal people really kind of appreciate it. Like like people that are yeah, kind of no in the business. But do you but, think that's the point though? I mean, I feel like the one like if you're it's part of the thing. It's like. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not appreciating it, like, oh, that was really cool. I think that's better because you're, like, it's just adding to, like, the feeling or the tone or whatever's happening in that scene. So it's, I think it's in a way it's better that they're not appreciating it on, like, a, a technical level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but they're so... No, obviously there's intent and there's, like, a, you know, a way that you shoot a show to, you know, have pacing and tone and all that stuff, but... Whether a scene plays a three-minute scene plays out in four shots or one shot, probably doesn't make a giant difference. I think it makes a difference to performance, though, because I think actors love oneers, and it's really fun, and everybody it feels like such great teamwork and chemistry on the day with the cast and crew, and so I think you get something that feels really alive. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was definitely like an excitement on that day where everyone like really wanted to like bring their A game forward. And they did, they didn't want to be the one that you know messed up their line or messed up their mark. And when they did, they're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry" to like the entire crew. That's like, oh, we got to reset. Uh, so yeah, I agree. I think about that all the time with Russian art. Has everyone seen that movie? Yeah, just to be like the guy who like trips and hits the cameras. <laughs> How awful that would be! Like 50 minutes in. Yeah. In commercials, I always pitch the wonder, and they're like, okay, but we're going to have like an insert on the product. And I'm like, well, no. <laughs> uh, um, I will say, I, I did a, a short film as a wonder and didn't like it. Like, yeah, because you can't edit it. You can't edit it. So, like, all the things that, like, you use, the, the toolkit of, like, punching up comedy, you can't do anymore. And I was like, I'm never going to do this ever again. <laughs> Just add fart sounds. I yeah, do, yeah. I do see your point, though, that there could be some part of it that's, like, a, a vanity thing where you're like, hey, guys, look at this. I'm yeah. doing a wonder. But there are certain situations where it, it elevates it. But I don't think that's, like, with every tool in our toolkit. Like, you could have a... Uh, you're doing a jib shot that's just for yourself and it's sure. self-indulgent but then there's a certain jib shot that sets up a world and it's, it's it, you know it really elevates the piece so I feel wonders no different than anything like that and there's those wonders that like go from like wides to you know what I mean like the movement of it so it, like it doesn't feel like a wonder but it's like right. well, it goes from a wide to a two shot to a single and it's mm-hmm. like oh you didn't realize that that was a wonder yeah yeah the more invisible ones I yeah. yeah I think it was more just like I needed more batteries for my camera. I, <laughs> I wish that wasn't true. <laughs> um, uh, Sarah, you... So a lot of the shows you direct, like we talked about Room 104 um, and Buster's Malheart, your movie, uh, they're like really out there, right? I, like, I, really unique and you're kind of pushing the limits. They just feel normal to me. <laughs> right, I so... People, I think the number one word I hear with Buster's Mouth Heart is it was it's confusing and um, I'm always like very confused by that because it seems I don't know what, what is the lock to Buster's Mouth Heart oh boy um, well I I don't know what, what, what the official one we released was but I always think of it as a story about um, um, a man who was born with a bad heart like a mal heart mm-hmm. um, uh, not meant for this world and uh um, anyway, something happens, and uh, it's about he ends up splitting in two and tearing space time a new asshole. 
Yeah, good long name. Yeah. But that's pretty straightforward. Well, so, so when you're working, so when you're working on TV, where there you're just like one piece of this whole thing, like how far can you push things before people are like, no, she's too crazy. Let's not have her direct this thing. Yeah, no asshole there. <laughs> also, like once I've already, once I already have the job, like how do I not get fired or like? The- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess do you have a way to gauge like how far you can push a concept? I usually push pretty far. I push pretty, pretty far. I feel like I, and I mostly get what I want because I'm just relentless um, and very stubborn. Uh, but I think I, on Legion specifically, I remember, I think I pitched like a very expensive visual effects sequence that was like, oh, just like a hundred million dollars that we like spend right here for these two minutes. And I think that I got, I got a firm no on that. Um, <laughs> But uh, for the most part, I've been lucky, like, with, um, well, with Legion, you know, the, the whole idea is how do we um, break the mold? And Noah Hawley always says, you know, he doesn't want you to just shoot the script. He, he wants you to come and surprise him and do something weird and different. So I, I think with that show, it was just, I was more nervous that I wouldn't be able to push it enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So well, did you find yourself, like, kind of second-guessing anything because it wasn't weird enough? Um, I, I guess I don't spend a lot of time second-guessing in the moment, though. I really, I really just try and um, give myself the freedom to, to play and be myself and, and fight for what I want. Um, so. Do you ever, though? Do you ever, like, is it an edit that you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should have changed things, or? Um, no, I liked This is for everyone. Um, like, you know, 10 years ago, like the way into TV, a lot of people will talk about shadowing. And I think of our panel, Tim's the only one who really kind of like started with Adam Ruins everything and got onto the show because he was like a known person. Do you guys still think shadowing is, is a thing? Or what's your, if somebody wants to get into TV, like what's your best piece of advice to them? It sounds like it might be don't want to get into TV. <laughs> but is there anything like a little more... Um, like actionable that, you, that any one of you guys can think of? I, I, I actually have a shadow for, I have someone shadowing me this block and Adam, Adam and uh, apparently NBC offers a shadow fellowship that the goal is, you know, they're gonna assign you a TV episode by the end of your, your shadow program. So, you know, if you make it through that and if you get accepted to that, then, then you're on your way already. Um, How do you like it? How do I like having a shadow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had one last block, and you know, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's nice. I kind of get, I mean, being a director is a very lonely thing sometimes, and sure. it's actually That's why nice we have this to, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually nice to have someone to kind of have a, kind of be buddy-buddy with for, you know, through the entire process, and, you know, sometimes you kind of bounce ideas off them, and they, you know, they suggest things, and uh, I don't know, I, I really like it. I don't, I welcome it. And I actually shadowed this year. Oh, cool. You shadowed another show. Yeah, so... um, Because you only work from 10 to 5. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's always difficult, right? So I have a couple features, and then I direct on Kimmel, and I have like 30 shorts, but I technically don't have episodic. So um, I got on the HBO director's list this year, and so HBO's been trying to help me. So they sent me to shadow on one of their shows. Are you allowed to say which one? Yeah, it was on Crashing. Oh, cool. Um, which was great. I mean, I have mixed feelings about shadowing, and like... I mean, I think those programs are great, but there also is there some part of me that thinks like that's also a lottery. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's helpful for people that get in, and it's I'm grateful that I got the chance to do that. But it's also especially when you have so much experience, and I don't know if it's a lot. I know a lot of women that have shadowed a bunch for like years and don't get yep. episodes and stuff. So I think it definitely is helpful, and it's great when you can get it. But I also feel like you can't just rely on like I'll get a shadow and then I'll get a career because that's not really realistic. And you, but you are learning also, right? When you're yeah, shadowing. I mean, I think that there. I think shadowing is a great thing, but I think that I think what NBC is doing is great because it's like to shadow to get an episode, like to shadow to get something is great. To shadow to shadow is fine at certain points, but you can't do that forever, you know. Well, Tony, what's your? I mean, so you just did this show. What's like? What's your next thing? And like, what's your advice to people to like get things going? I mean, I, those are two totally different questions, but, <laughs> but they might be the same answer. I don't know. Yeah, which one should I answer first? What's the question? Uh, I guess what's your advice on how, like, to, to new people trying to, like, break into TV? Well, I think this is a good example that there's no one answer. And uh, I look at our trajectory, like the fact the college humor stuff that we were doing, that sort of business model is completely changed. And... That was new, like that's newer than the stuff you're probably learning in film school and it's already obsolete, this, this sort of like $20,000 college humor video or funny or die video. So I guess it's just like really standard generic advice that'll always be true, which is one, just shoot it and two, make stuff that you like, make stuff that you would want to consume and then hope the, the world agrees because now we have so many outlets to get it out in front of people. And if, if you can find an audience or find certain tastemakers that think it deserves a bigger audience, uh, I think that's still the, the best way to go about it, as vague as that answer might be. No, it's a great answer. Well, what, uh, can we just go down, starting with Sarah, the line, and saying like what you have coming up next? Oh, I want to give advice. Okay, yeah. oh yeah, give advice. Yeah, I got <laughs> advice. <laughs> I was thinking about how, um, before I made my first feature, I had this idea that like, I was trying to make this bigger, more expensive feature, and I thought that I could only, like, that, that was what I needed. Like, that was the size that could contain me, and I think it was a big mistake that I, it wasn't until after I made my little micro budget feature that I realized that's, that would be my advice to anybody, which is like, do the, the most specific, true version of you, but do the small version first. Do the, like, the smallest version that you can, because then all of a sudden it's doable. And then you will, with hard work, get to the bigger version of you. But I think, like, it, it is, the shadowing is, um, you know, totally a great experience, but I'm also sort of skeptical in terms of, like, that actually leading to a career in TV. I think the very, very, very best thing you could do for your life, your soul, and your career is to just, like, focus on that small, attainable version of yourself and make that really true and great, and it'll lead you in the right direction. 
Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think on that note, I think let's hop into some unpaid endorsements. All right. No? Okay. So you want to just totally skip my question? You had one more question. <laughs> <laughs> my question was what a now how what, does what it do you feel have going on? Ne- the what tables have turned. What do you have going next? No. Oh yeah, yeah. What do you have going next? Sorry, Marie. Um, I'm just working on. I'm writing a bunch of stuff, so I have like, again, like I said, I like to work with co-writers, so I'm writing a comedy. I'm writing an Italian thriller. I just finished my first drama pilot. And then um, working on this new short that I almost got funding for, but now i got to figure it out. Um, and then, yeah, just working on more stuff. How do you get funding for a short? Well, I was... I mean, everybody should check this out because this was something cool, but um, the Refinery29 Level Forward program that they did, they I got pretty far in that, and I had a short that I have a, have a feature version of it, but I wrote a, small, a smaller version to, like, shoot first as, like, a sizzle or a proof of concept. So, um that like that's one thing but all the shorts i've done myself i've always financed myself with like a tax return or just no money or so file your taxes soon, yeah that's oh yeah i never put money away i just like make a movie off my tax returns <laughs> uh tim what do you have next uh you know adam ruins everything for a few more oh, months yeah. uh we're we actually just started airing a couple weeks ago so check that out every tuesday on true tv uh I did seven of the 16 episodes this season. And then um, I have a short film coming out early next year. And then I'm just you know working on a couple features, one based off of a short film I already released. And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you had some Vimeo staff picks recently, right? I had a short of the week. Oh, short of the week. Oh, cool. We had those guys on the podcast, the yeah, short of the week yeah. guys. Um, yeah, you should ch- definitely check out Tim's shorts because they are... They don't, they're not super expensive, but they're like really good, right? I mean, it's like an example of like. Yeah, I mean, one was, you know, had a decent budget. The other one I, you know, the, the, the KFC the camping. thing I did was, you know, for, you know, a few hundred bucks. All right, but the camping one, when they're camping in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was like, you know, $6,000. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. Tony, what about you? Uh, it's kind of interesting to be answering such an exciting and terrifying question in front of so many people when I've been <laughs> saying the same answer for the past like two and a half years. Uh, but I guess, first of all, we are hoping uh, that legal stuff gets sorted out so that Mandel 3 can find a new home. But I'm not, but I'm also really excited to go on to something else. And we have like TV projects we're working on it's been fun going back to my commercial company and saying like, hey, I can work now. Uh, working on a music video and just, uh, but yesterday I, I just walked for seven miles, brainstorming, thinking about what I want to do next. And it's been a long time since I've had the, the freedom to do something like that. So it's a little terrifying and, and a lot exciting. Um, just to ask a second follow-up question your music videos lately have been pretty big like that Freaky Friday video which has like 400 million views something last like that more, so, more did you know not, it's the top charting comedy song of all time no way yeah we just found more that. than any Weird Al song Weird Al White and Nerdy was his top one and that was that charted at number you, you nine. White and nerdy was his top. Yeah, that was his <laughs> top. And then Freaky Friday was number eight. Wow, wow. that's insane! Congratulations. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> I got a plaque. There's a plaque in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you? So how long do those videos take to prep? 
Uh, yeah, they're, they're a, a lot of work because we know like the visuals are so important to his music more than almost any artist. Maybe OK Go is comparable, uh, but really like until you see the visuals, it doesn't totally click the for... Video is the product. And then... And then you can listen to that song. You can listen to Freaky Friday now and just like have that image. And it's, uh, you go to any bar on a Friday and you're going you're gonna to hear that now. So it's cool to be a part of that. But because of that, the, the, the stakes are really high. And uh, you, know, uh, you know, a lot of times Dave is spending his own money. So you got to be really wary. And it's super stressful to be working with people like that and uh, yeah the it's invigorating in all in a whole different way re-inspired it all by Rebecca Black's Friday <laughs> I think our video was even better <laughs> perhaps um, cool and Sarah you never answered the question I was avoiding I want you to teach me how to get views <laughs> on things. I feel like that's amazing. Was it, you said 400 million views? Like 450. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of dumb white guys who watch YouTube. So yeah, maybe just for the wrong audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I am reading and writing a bunch of different things and uh, taking meetings. Like I said, I'm sort of like in this dating process right now where I have a bunch of different things I'm excited about, but... Um, um, sort of wondering what's going to be the one I give my heart fully to, as, I guess, as a director of the project. So I just have a bunch of stuff in development. But. Cool. Can I ask one last dumb question? Um, can you get who's like the coolest celebrity you've worked with, Tony? <laughs> Kit Harrington. Who? Kit Harrington? Is he nice? Yeah. He was, he was, he was really great. <laughs> what do you got, Tim? Uh, I'm going to say I worked with Weird Al recently. Oh, I used to respect him until five minutes ago. <laughs> I worked with Weird Al, too. I did, really? I did yeah, too. I worked with Weird Al, too. <laughs> I That's so we, we all have that in common. Yeah. No. This was a, like, a... He's our no. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> He's our Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I worked with Weird Al for one weird night, like, probably eight years ago, back when we had a um, design studio, and... It, he had a, a green screen video and needed gr motion graphics in the background. And we did an all-nighter with Weird Al. And he bought us pizza. And we talked about blood diamonds. <laughs> we didn't talk about that. But yeah, he's very lovely. He's lovely. <laughs> have you worked with him, Tony? I have not. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Matt and I both went to his concert recently. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got that going. I have us. tickets for the next one as well. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. Um, cool. Tony. All right. You got anyone? Yeah. I, DJ Colin? Oh, you were that was, Kylie Jenner? Uh, that was Kendall. Sorry. That was cool. <laughs> Going to the Jenner household was cool in, in and out. Also, like, we flew to Columbus, Ohio to shoot with uh, Ed Sheeran for the Freaky Friday video, too. Uh, yeah. They were all I, like, I, I thought he was from Columbus. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> no. It was at their arena, and we just like got to shoot the the stadium. And we got to see the show, and I was never like a big edge. But he puts on a show. 
I would recommend anybody go see Ed Sheeran. But my, da- my dad, my dad recently was like, "You gotta hear this one guy. He doesn't like music at all. Like, you he's, like, this one guy. he's like, he's so good." And I was like, "What?" And he started playing Ed Sheeran. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dad. I only know from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Unpaid endorsements! Da, 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 da. We have a theme for our endorsements because there's so many of us. And it is, uh, what is your favorite Los Angeles coffee spot to take a coffee? Or a bar. Or a bar, yeah. Or you can me. give us one of each. Yeah, yeah. Tony, you want to kick it off? But, but drink at a bar and coffee at the coffee shop. Can I just do one? Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Republic of Pie in North Hollywood. It's like a real yeah. cliche, but I would go there all the time. Yeah, that's a good spot to like see someone working on their screenplay. Yeah, it's everybody. We're all we're the worst. It's all the same person yeah. with different yeah. scarfs and stuff. But <laughs> good coffee, good environment. Uh, like uh, probably Jay's Bar. That's like the only bar I go to to like meet up with writers or other directors. Where's that? Uh, it's on Sunset and Silver Lake. Jay's Bar? Jay's Bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you been? Oh, yeah. yeah, I live in Silver Lake. I've never been to Garage Pizza. Yeah. I think we, Tim and I had beers there one time. <laughs> yeah. So the owner of Jay's Bar also owns Garage Pizza, and they have what's called a Marty McFly, which is where <laughs> if you get too loaded at Jay's Bar, you can order a pizza delivered to your place and hitch a ride with the delivery guy home. I don't know that that might be an urban legend. But I <laughs> everyone, it makes sense. Yeah, pretty great. Yeah. Um, I go. I frequent Commissary Coffee because it's right by my house. Um, they have really great coffee and they have a really good chocolate chip cookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is important. Great breakfast burrito too. Yes. I like Amara Kitchen. Oh yes, Highland Park. Yeah, you can usually get a table that's relatively quiet, have a nice conversation, good vegan food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm. You got one? I have one. I can go first. For me, uh, yeah, I like um, paper or plastic. Do you guys ever go there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is great. You can write there, and also it's kind of, uh, it's a good, like, west side coffee shop that's not so far west that you're stuck on the other side of the freeway. Can I tell you about my app idea? It's called, it's called Half and Half, and, like, you put in basically, like, their address and your address and, like, what time you want to meet, that's and it gross. tells you what coffee shop to go to that's not in a neighborhood that you won't get killed in. Um, <laughs> Someone's going to steal it now. Yeah. I mean, please, someone steal it. Warren's not going to be Well, I figured if I made it, Yelp would just, like, rip it off, so... Yeah. We can have it. Um, there's this place, they serve alcohol and coffee. It's called Semi-Tropic. Have you guys been there? It's in Echo Park. It's like, I drove above it. It's, like, under this bridge, kind of. I drove above it for, like, ten years, and then someone told me about it. It's pretty awesome. Check it out. Um... They don't like kids in there, so mm. don't bring your kids. <laughs> um, cool. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for uh, coming. Sorry about all the technical issues. Um, we hope it didn't ruin the night for you. Yeah. And uh, if you're loving this episode, we're going to do a bonus episode of uh, listener questions. So we'll or audience questions. Audience questions, pardon me. Um, so stay tuned for that, everyone. So there you have it, folks. That was our live show, recorded 100% on iPhones <laughs> in a not the best acoustically treated room. Yeah, 
it has its charms though it feels like you our listeners were really there now they know how hard it was to hear in that room it's also a great incentive to come to one of our live shows yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um, uh we also wanted to thank uh madeline rosewatt who was there our producer and christopher our editor who was there and of course jay and ewan are the rest of the team uh they're a big part of this show and we wanted to shout out their names on this episode as well crystal since, clear in the studio mics yes since it is uh you know kind of one of our special episodes anyhow i guess i just gave the credits to the episodes yeah and also thanks to everyone for coming um, and for our patrons and guests and, uh, you know, it, it was special, right? Not to get too sentimental, but it was a really nice time. We had a pretty good showing and it was raining. That it was, night. Yeah, I would have flaked. Yeah. I almost did myself. I was. There was a moment where we were sitting there and I saw some one or two people in the audience look slightly bored. Though they were both people that came up to me like afterwards and said they had a really great time. And I thought to myself... I never just listen to a podcast. Like I'm always walking or driving or working on something or exercising. Like a podcast is not something I focus on. Uh, And so I was like, oh, when you come to a live show, it's like people are focusing on our podcast. On our podcast. Yeah. Well, and I think like other shows maybe do well, have like rotating guests and a live band and all that stuff. You know, there's a lot of different uh, stagecraft tricks that people use and we are just doing the show in front of a live studio audience but we are there is it's totally different when you're in front of people because you're sensing when people are excited or engaged or bored and it helps us to to stay on the topic yeah and make sure we're not being boring hopefully they also had like tacos and beers with us yes which was pretty great it was it was really cool i mean the the sawhorse uh people really hooked us up so that was cool well if you have any comments uh we've gotten a few emails about sound quality before but uh feel free to email us again we are just shoot it pad at gmail.com we love that you're paying attention yeah we're also at just shoot it pod on everything twitter instagram facebook we would love for you to follow us and it's actually a really good way to find out about the live events and things we do because if all you do is subscribe to us on iTunes or something or listen to us, uh, it's a you little might, harder to know. Yeah. yeah, you might miss out on things that we are doing because we aren't always recording this like yeah. right when it's coming out. Let me recommend our Instagram is pretty fun. You get to see the guests uh, in advance and then the live show promos and that's kind of it. It doesn't really inundate uh, your feed too much, I promise. This episode was edited by Jay McCullough, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. This episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt and the Sawhorse Gang, Eben Kospar, Blake Benham, and Nick Hill. And also, there's a handful of other dudes that were there helping out as well. So, shout out to all of them. Leave us a review on iTunes if you can, and tune in next time for a crystal clear audio version of Nice and Buttery. Just shoot it. Thanks, everyone.